Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, so I'm a feminist, but a small part of me believes I don't deserve a summer halal boyfriend unless I have a pedicure. Like, I can't leave the house with open-toe sandals and my nails are like, ha! Like, they haven't seen sunlight for eight months and the cuticles are growing. Like, I'm not actually going to even see nail. And then you get to the salon and the lady at the salon looks at you with, like, a look of, where have you lived? What have your feet seen? (laughs) I just... It really stresses me out. And that's why I'm like, I'm really glad this is Your toenails are very pretty. Well, I specifically got them done because I was coming here and I'm like, people will see the nails. Yeah. And the thing is, nobody would have noticed, but then I would have apologised for them and then they would have looked and they would be like, oh yeah, I'm really sorry about your toes. Moving right along. You go. I am a feminist, but I'm committed to always smelling of citrus. Oh. I like... When people are like, oh, your natural odour, I'm like, no, I do not want natural odour. My natural odour does not belong anywhere in my vicinity. And if anything, I sweat baby powder, right? <laughs> I was thinking about where this came from because I, like, have about two or three showers a day, right? And mm-hmm. also, you know, Muslims wash with water. Like, if you go to the loo, you wash with water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we like to be clean. I remember what, I must have been, like, I think it was the first time I had a little bit of armpit hair. I was, like, seven or eight, right? I was, like, growing hair out of odd places for the first time. And I sat next to my mom. It was a hot day in Brisbane. Brisbane is humid, right? And my mom was like... 
My mum sniffed. She was like, is that you? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I've been citrus smelling ever since. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when Grace Petrie told me that she couldn't play the Royal Albert Hall because she was already booked to headline a festival and she couldn't get out of it, I actually physically actively hoped that that festival was going to be like the fire festival <laughs> so that it would be cancelled and she could come and do the Royal Albert Hall. Every day I thought, hopefully it's the fire festival. <laughs> hopefully they're having to refund the money. They're panicking, running around behind closed doors thinking, can we give everyone oh their money God. back? Hopefully, hopefully. The fire festival was the wildest. Like, I think only a white man could pull that kind of like bullshit off. Oh yeah, totally. Like nobody's giving like nobody's giving some Muslim woman named Khadija that amount of money. No, right? so you know, like it's just and not. And if happening. they are, they're monitoring it. Yeah, indeed. They're not trusting her just to definitely pull off that many portaloos. No, 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 no. They're like, but if if a Muslim woman named Khadija did run a festival, like the food would be lit. Right? Mm. There is none of this, I'm going to give you some styrofoam. No. You're going to be rolling out of there, so sated, you don't eat for a week. Mm. I'm a feminist, but I went head-to-head with a politician um, in Australia. She's, like, quite a well-known politician for racism and Islamophobia. And, you know, she was sort of saying Muslims need to be deported and all this sort of thing. And went head-to-head in this video. The clip of us went viral, Right? I got like 12 million views in less than a week and everyone was like messaging me and be like, yes, we're so proud of you standing up for Islam, blah, 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 blah. And I saw this video everywhere. I'm like, my family in Sudan was sending it to me and Sudan barely has internet and they were getting it through, right? It was huge. And every single time I saw that video, the only thing I could think was, why did I wear that outfit? <laughs> for fuck's sake. I like had pink, I had like this light blue and yellow headscarf and then this like multicolored black and white shirt. I was like, nothing matches. Nothing matches. Your face, what those glasses that I chose, wrong set of glasses for that headscarf style. Like I was on my period. I'd been on my period for like a month. And so I was, I couldn't, I couldn't see the colors probably. Nothing. <laughs> It's the only I keep people keep referring back to that video, and I'm like, never leave the house in an outfit you don't want to go viral, right? Because that will happen. Great advice. (laughs) Never leave the house in an outfit you don't want to go viral. Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Yasmin Abdelmajid, and very special guest, Mariam Khan, talking about belonging. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Yasmin Abdelmajid, and we are talking about belonging. Dun, dun, dun. Have you had a guilty week or a feminist week? I think it's been like a, a guilty week. Yeah. It's been a guilty it's week. Been a guilty okay. Week, yeah. uh, why? None of the things I want to say are very halal. So, like, <laughs> um, for the non Muslims in the audience, it's not Muslim friendly. So, when my mum hears this, she's going to be like, I see what you've done when you've left the city, and, you know, gone on. Have anyway. you had a haram week? I've had a haram week. This is a bit like the guilty yeah. Muslim now, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Have you had a halal week or every a Muslim. haram week? <laughs> Can we do the I guilty Muslim? It, so you know a... how there's, there's Ramadan? Like, it was haramadan. Like, hey! <laughs> it was a stop. <laughs> is that your joke? It is, it, is, it is mine and every other Muslim I know. 
But we don't, oh, okay. we don't, it's, it's just one of those things. You just don't tell people about it. But, well, clearly, you know. Yeah. You just keep it close to your chest, as yeah. it were. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Hi, Mum. All right, I'm going to do the... We can edit that out. Anything you don't want your mother to hear. Why don't we have a Yasmin Abdelmajid's mother's edit and we send her oh, that one? Oh, my God. Okay, you don't know how happy that's just made me. I mean, there's probably other versions of my mum in here. I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) Other versions of your (laughs) mum? Yeah, that's just... Is that other Muslim mothers who might be in the audience judging you on her behalf? Mm -hmm. They have a WhatsApp group. (laughs) 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 When they were like, I saw her, and she was talking about her boyfriend. Which you don't have. Never. (laughs) You've never had a boyfriend. There was just a man that I saw many times in the shops. (laughs) There was a very handsome man in the dressing room, but I don't know if he belonged to no, anyone. No, no, no. I just met him in the shops. And in the shops? <laughs> and I was like, oh, brother, come through. <laughs> Gen Zs don't have a generation gap with their parents. That's deeply disturbing to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. even if I see it on television, if I see a child talking to their parent, I'm like, oh, you're going to get slapped. <laughs> like, that's coming back at you. But it doesn't, and I'm confused. Yes, no. I'm like, well, it, are you, like, disciplining them through, like, time out on your phone like what is happening here yeah well it's sort of illegal to hit children indeed now. indeed yeah. mm. i think it is i mean i think there's probably you probably can smack but it's very gone out of fashion because people worry mm. that it's violent well i mean it is effective in my case but no yeah. too dark okay okay moving right along belonging do you feel you belong i mean it depends on what we're talking about i belong to a large number of whatsapp groups sure um yeah, I think everyone feels like they don't belong. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's what all of the, the sort of political things that are happening at the moment is about people finding different things to belong to and deciding that actually nobody else is allowed to belong to the club that I'm part of. Yeah. Right? So essentially, you know, everyone's like, I want to be in a cult. That's the vibe, right? But nobody calls it that. They call it like the political party or whatever it might be. So your theory is everyone wants to be in a cult? Because I actually was in a cult. Yeah, no, it's and a it sensitive word. not great. It's never fun. No. Nobody's ever been like, the cult was a good time. No. It's the no. fight between wanting so much to belong to a tribe that you want to obey all the rules of the tribe, which escalates into a cult, and wanting to be free and a free thinker. Yeah, and I think like anyone who's from a collectivist society or something that is really bound, a group of people that are bound by a particular set of rules, mm. like... Anyone mm. who's been from a small village or any sort of community where everybody knows each other's business, all you want is your own agency. All you want is for nobody to know your business, right? But 100%. then if you're part of a society like we are in, here in the UK where everyone's individualised and atomized, all you want to do is be part of a club, right, or a community. And so I think maybe, like, we'll never be satisfied. So it's always the fight between the like desire to belong and the desire to be free. Mm. And we all live in that paradox and that tension the whole time. When we're accepted, we want to be ourselves. When we're not accepted, we feel lonely. So we're constantly battling those two things. I think so. Yeah. What do you, what do you reckon? Feel about I right? think we've solved it. Yeah. That's the end so, of the I episode. Think, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here with some news about our spring season for big speeches. Did you know the number one phobia that the British public have is public speaking? It's not surprising. It can be so daunting and terrifying. But in a very supported environment 
during an incredibly joyful day, I promise you, you will find your voice with my help and with all the other Guilty Feminists who attend. We are doing two dates in March, the 1st and the 8th in Walthamstow in the Rose and Crown. This space is not accessible. However, on the 29th of March, the 25th of April and the 10th of May, we are in Hold Space, which is an accessible venue in Highbury Islington. We would love to see you there. The workshops have really taken off. And if you look for the hashtag Big Speeches on Twitter, you'll see all kinds of lovely testimonials and lovely things that people are saying about us. I love teaching this workshop. I'm so glad I have the platform to do it. So please do go online, look on the website, guiltyfeminist.com to book and for more details. And uh, I look forward to seeing you there. Please welcome to the stage, the incredible Yasmin Abdelmajid! Where are you from? Right, it's a question that we hear all the time and for various people it triggers various things. For me, I think I was born in Sudan and my family moved to Australia when I was about a year and a half and then I moved here to the UK. So when somebody asks me where I'm from, it's like existential crisis, right? But what it means is that I look for belonging in the strangest places and I'm like happy with anything that people give me. So Twitter, right? You're all on Twitter. Everyone's on Twitter. Nobody ever goes to Twitter for a safe space, right? Twitter is not the place you go to be like, you know what, I need a mental health day, right? Let me just log on to Twitter, right? No. But anyway, this particular day, I thought it might be a good idea. I was like trying something new and a bunch of trolls and I sort of get lots of men who aren't a huge fan of, you know, women or people of colour or Muslims or anyone with an opinion. And so, you know, the usual kind of rubbish was filling my feed and I was like, Yasmin, one, though, one caught my eye. It was like, Yasmin, you are a feminazi, scum of the earth, left-wing, this, that, and the other. And I was like, ooh. And he was like, but it's a shame you're so hot. And I was like, oh, my God, he thinks I'm hot. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God, Yasmin, you're like, why do you want to be fuckable to a troll? Like, what? You need to do some unlearning, right? Like, you're looking for belonging in the wrong place. So anyway, I DM'd him. and It turned out to be a Russian bot. So didn't didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. As I mentioned, we moved to Australia. We were the second Sudanese family in Australia, right? So people, like, had no idea where Sudan was. They'd be like, Bruce. Bruce, where do you think they're from? I don't know, Pam. My dad, determined to be friendly, determined to assimilate. He'd be like, Salam alaikum, brother. And Bruce would be like, don't eat salami, mate. That's not... I'm a steak man. I'm a steak man. And the other, so my dad also, what, he's an engineer. One of the things is that he really likes systems and processes. And in Sudan, there were no systems and processes. So his best, most favorite thing about the fact that we were living in Brisbane was that the systems and processes worked. Like bureaucracy, I was going to say something. It's weird to say about your dad. Bureaucracy made him hard. He was like, I love bureaucracy. <laughs> He was like, he was like, I'll just do some graffiti, call the graffiti line, they'll wash it off. He was like, someone was parked on the street in the wrong place, I called the council, they took it away. He was so involved, he decided to join the neighborhood watch. I was like, Dad, they're watching us. We're the African gang, Dad. When you 
turned up to the meeting, they said, who called you? No. Dad was just a little too keen. He even suggested that we like join the neighborhood camping trip. And my mum was like, we left Sudan so we would not have to live in tents. Why would I do this? And yes, indeed, tents and camping are for people who have a home to go back to. Ooh, grim. And so the thing is, right, I started to internalise this. And I was like, how do I become Australian? How do I, you know, belong? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to do what the white people do. I'm going to ski, right? <laughs> I'm going to learn to ski, right? So I Googled best place to ski. And then I also was like, you know, how about I learn a language that, you know, white people speak? I'll learn French, right? It's like a, you know, it's a nice colonial vibe. So, <laughs> so I learned French. And then I Googled where to ski, and the first place that came up was this place called Zermatt, right? I was like, beautiful. Swiss, they speak French there somehow, yeah? Great. So I rock up. Firstly, Zermatt is in the German part of Switzerland. <laughs> so nobody knew what the fuck I was saying. I was like, Southern? They're like, hi. That Swiss person was Australian, apparently. And also, I don't know, so for those who haven't gone skiing before, it is like white, it is white. You know, there are no black people on the mountain. To the point where I met a Swiss family who was like, when we see a black person on the mountain, they're a sign of good luck. <laughs> I was like, I'm not a fucking leprechaun. I'm like, right here. And why can't I get the luck, damn it? What? This struggle was so real. And the other thing I did was I decided to do engineering, right? I did engineering at university, did mechanical engineering. Yes, to the engineers. Chicks in STEM. Who? I don't know what the fuck that was. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Just so because the thing is about being an engineer, it's like a really masculine sort of environment. And so I got a job in oil and gas. Right. That was. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I was the first female they hired in my department in Australia. Right. So the boss is sat across the table from me. He's like, Yasmin, do you need any specialist equipment because you're a woman? Yeah. And I was like, this is the question I've been waiting for my entire life. I was like, yes, I need trousers with more space for my booty. I was like, do you know how hard it is to fit into men's pants? I was like, a pancake ass, constantly. This long crotch. He looked at me with this utter look of confusion. Like he had never thought that a woman might need a different set of clothes. He was like, I'm sorry, we can't help you. I was like, the fuck did you offer then, Eric? Fucking Steve, all of them, just like disciples, Paul, Peter, who the fuck knows? <laughs> so I go onto the rig and I'm driving. So my first rig was like a land rig. And I was driving, my colleague sat next to me. He's like, Yes, I've never worked with a woman before. He's like, Mm hmm. <laughs> this is apparent. He's like, So I just have like one question. Like, it's just, it's been playing on my mind. Um, are you going to be able to lift the tools? And I was like, mate, you're a Filipino man half my size. I can lift you up. I can bench press you. Do you want me to, I can throw you right out of the fucking car right now if you want. He was like, understood. And the best part is that, like, they just had no idea how to deal with me. They honestly, like, and I would hear them on the radio for we'd, they'd be like, ah, she's coming. Have you seen her? Nah, what does she look like? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, she's got something on her head. I can't really see. But is she hot though? And then I'd be like, I can hear ya. 
You'd be like, she can hear us. So are you hot? Of course, you fucking idiot. I'm bloody fantastic. Best thing you ever saw. They'd be like, so how did you get here? Did you like go to jail or something? Why? They just couldn't comprehend that I had chosen that job voluntarily. And I was like, well, I thought it was a good idea, but now you're making me question whether or not it was. But it was nice because I got to spend my time in an environment that felt like, even though I didn't look like anyone, they eventually made me feel like I belonged. Fast forward a few years, and I end up living here in London, in the UK. Now, in order to belong here in London, I've learned that there's a very special sort of like test that you have to do. It's the Pottermore quiz. I don't know if anyone has heard. It's like to find out which Hogwarts house you're in, okay? And I have known ever since I read Harry Potter at the, you know, sprightly age of 11 or when the fuck I found Chamber of Secrets in the library and was like, oh my God, I am in Gryffindor. I am so, and my Patronus is a Black Panther. I've known this, I've known this. It's in my soul, right? My, the essence of my soul is a Black Panther before it was cool, right? Before Wakanda was a thing people knew about. Sidebar, one of my friends went to an event the other day and he was like, yeah, they had it up like Wakanda. I'm like, or in any other African country that actually exists. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe. I'm like, did they have vibranium cocktails? What? Anyway, so, Pottermore test. Me and all my new London friends gathered together. They all do the test. They're all in fucking Gryffindor. And I'm like, it's because we belong together. My friend gets some thoroughbred horse as her Patronus. Somebody gets an eagle. I'm like, great, you're all going to be shocked when I bring out my Black Panther. <laughs> I do the test meticulously, carefully, taking thought with every single question and answer. Turns out, I'm a fucking Hufflepuff. <laughs> Hufflepuff? I'm like, it sounds like a weird fart. Hufflepuff, what? And I'm like, it's fine. My, my Patronus will redeem me, right? It will I'll be the greatest Hufflepuff there ever was. My Patronus is an animal that I had to Google. Four letters. First one starts with a letter even weirder than Y, which is mine. I'm a vole. A vole is a rodent. It's a rat. My the soul, my essence is a fucking rat. And it's a cute rat, but who the fuck cares? It's a rat. So my conclusion, folks, is that Pottermore is racist. Hello, Guilty Feminists, it's Deborah. Just wanted to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who came out for the America, Canada, Australia and New Zealand tour. We have done our last date, very sadly. But if you are in Tauranga or nearby in New Zealand, I'm doing a show called Doing the Business on Tuesday night at Bay Court 
for the Cambodian Charitable Trust that helps girls in Cambodia who are living in deep poverty get some education and opportunity. So come along to that. Some tickets left, but not many. Now, if you enjoyed Grace Petrie on the Australian or New Zealand tour, if you didn't get the Australian New Zealand tour, but you know Grace Petrie, you're like, oh my God, I want to hear her songs. I want to hear Black Tie tonight. Live, then she has shows in Newcastle, Illawarra, Canberra, Fitzroy, Melbourne, Port Ferry, Cronulla, Sydney, Katoomba in Australia. And those are all from the 27th of February till the 15th of March. And you can find the dates and buy tickets on gracepetrie.com. That's grace, P-E-T-R-I-E.com. She is a fantastic performer. Anyone who sees her knows that. Uh, so go, 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 go and get tickets fast before they all go. Bring 20 or 30 of your closest friends because hashtag feminism. We will be the Guilty Feminist at the WOW Festival, Women of the World Festival, Saturday 7th of March at the southbankcentre.co.uk. It's going to be a big old show. Uh, Susan McComber is co-hosting. Bridget Christie is doing stand-up. We've got an incredible musician and an amazing guest that I'm not allowed to tell you yet. So get tickets now or they're all going to go. It's at southbankcentre.co.uk. You can find the link on our website. Global Pillage is back. Woohoo! Our diversity-based comedy panel show. And you can buy tickets for that at King's Place on the 21st of March and the 4th and 5th of April. They're 4 p.m. shows. So you've, it's a weekend. You come along. You have lunch. Afterwards, you come to Global Pillage. You get to shout out, be the hive mind of the audience. We've got some incredible comedians on afterwards you can still make that party and if you want to you can come up and say hi afterwards and get a selfie with me get your book signed anything like that uh, global pillage you can find it at globalpillage.net and you can get tickets at the king's place website as always our uk tour kicks off on the first of march at the hammersmith apollo we've never played that venue before that's going to be exciting and then we're going all over the uk get tickets at guiltyfeminist.com and the movie that I wrote and have a cameo in and that Cindy V is in, Say My Name, is now available to buy or rent on UK iTunes and YouTube. Go to guiltyfeminist.com for links. You can also buy merch if you've got a birthday coming up or you just fancy a Guilty Feminist tea towel, apron, notebook, T-shirt, anything like that. There's all sorts on the Guilty Feminist website and the money goes into our pot for good things. Also, don't forget to choose love, check in on what help refugees are doing and what they're asking you to do in terms of contacting your MP and go to Right for Rights on the Amnesty website and check out what you can do for human rights. And now back to the podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Our guest today is the editor of It's Not About the Burqa, an anthology of essays by Muslim women on faith, feminism, sexuality, and race. Please welcome to the stage, Mariam Khan! Give it up! So, Yasmin, you're actually in Mariam's book. Indeed. It's an anthology of essays, and Mariam was kind enough to ask me to be one of the essays, so it's pretty awesome. Tell us how you decide to put this together. So the anthology is called It's Not About the Burqa, and they have a lot of things to say about the title, should you ask me, but it might go on longer than the show. Basically, the anthology came together when I had our idiot Prime Minister, or ex-Prime Minister, David Cameron, um, who basically said, Muslim women are traditionally submissive, or it was reported that he had said that. And I remember thinking, I don't recognise who he's talking about. And there was a huge, huge social media backlash, and that was one place I sort of found a belonging. And I remember seeing um, Muslim women holding up placards, and it, was, it said war survivor and PhD student and mother and all of these things that they sort of had an identity with but Muslim women were never described in those ways we were never allowed to have those narratives and I thought what can I do about it so after fighting the good fight in publishing I decided to put together a collection of essays and just because I really 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 wanted people to realize that there was more than a singular narrative around Muslim women I thought well if I put 17 different women in there they physically can't deny that we're different so that's where it came from and what surprised you about the different views that women in your book had and contributed to I think Part of being the editor, the thing that surprised me was how narrow my understanding had been of what it meant to be a Muslim woman and what it meant to be a woman as well. And I think pulling in different voices and narrative and lived experiences and pulling in people who, because not everyone in the book agrees with each other. Yeah. Um, and we've but had. That's really important. It's incredibly important. Because we don't expect white women for example to all agree on anything yeah but we do have this othering that goes on which mm. is well muslim women fit under yeah. a category what is the official press release from the muslim women <laughs> yeah right and of course and they're always in headscarves yeah. and burkas yeah. that's it literally and it's always the same one yes it's like we wash them you know they have her on speed dial yeah. that's it <laughs> You always have an incredible array of different, very glamorous headscarves. I mean, it failed me on the day of my viral video. But apart from that... No, 
the day of your viral video was a catastrophe. It was, but, it was. Yeah, but apart from but that... But 12 million mm. hits, though, in a week. Still, 12 I million, mean, 12 million thinks, people have seen the worst headscarf you've ever worn. Part of me thinks they were sharing because they were like, wow, she actually put that on her head. And not from a, not from a religious point of view, but just like the fashion police were like, astaghfirullah. I actually really like your headscarves because they're really oh. distracting, so I just look at them when we do events. When Thanks. I'm like, what shall I do? I'll look at Yasmin's scarf. So it's how I get things through security. <laughs> no, it's a joke. It's a joke. Oh my god. Good luck trying to leave the country next time. <laughs> what did you write about Yasmin in the book? <laughs> was it about how yeah. to get things through security in a headscarf? Indeed. I was like, you just you, like write in the court so they'll they'll pat it, but they can't get to the no. no. Um, this is how I get in trouble. <laughs> this is how like I'll be at customs and they'll be like, so. We're all guilty feminist listeners here at TSM. <laughs> anyway, I wrote about how I really believed that hard work was the thing that, you know, got you equality. And it was a, a belief that I had that you could outperform your Muslimness, you could outperform your gender, you could outperform your race, all these sorts of things. If you just work hard enough, people will, like, see how great you are. And I think it also comes from my dad, who used to be like... My, my dad had this funny complex because he migrated to Australia... I think he was like in his early 30s. And so he'd kind of developed already as a man. And he was like, oh, white people. I feel sorry for them because they don't realize how great we are. So any racism he experienced, he sort of like felt bad for the racists. Because he was like, oh, you just don't realize that I'm gold. Right, like that, that was the kind of vibe. And so like I inherited a little bit of that, which, you know, weird complex. Um, not usually what people expect. But then, obviously, what I then learned through life experience is that you hit a certain point mm. and you can't outperform. Like, all of those gender biases and structural inequalities come right into play. And that shocked me. It kind of shook my understanding of the world. And I think it probably, <laughs> ironically, Rupert Murdoch radicalised me. <laughs> I'm getting quite a look of confusion from Deb. So no, no, I'm just fascinated. Essentially, so Rupert Murdoch is a media guy. Um, by media guy, he owns most of the media in Australia. And he owns a lot here too. He owns a lot I, here. I think he owns This is going to be great for everybody. He owns a lot in America. He owns a lot around the world. Yeah. Um, he has immense amounts of power. Effectively, I thought that if I did well enough, even people like the right-wing press would be like, Yasmin's great, you know, we should let the Muslims in. You know, that was kind of the way that I thought about it. And then definitely didn't work that way. And I was like, oh, no matter how good I am they're not going to back me they're not going to be on my side so why should I try mm. and so effectively I became a much more radical version of my younger self mm. because of the Australian and the right-wing press alongside and sort it. of like how your experiences made you take ownership of your womanhood as well because the thing that you'd been made to hate was your mm. womanhood and mm. your your identity as a woman and if you took ownership of it and you were the one sort of leading the narrative around mm. yourself on that um you could make that a positive force, and I think often that's sort of weaponized against us, our own womanhood. That's I mean, part of the essay. I think, yeah, and that idea works across intersections, right? So many of our identities we are taught to minimize and to hate and to think is not good enough. Mm. But actually, if we turn around, we're like, oh, the fact that I'm a woman or the fact that I'm whatever other intersection, queer, Muslim, they're all our superpowers. Mm. And people are terrified of us owning that. That's why they gaslight us. That's why they essentially make us hate that part of ourselves. 
but I think throughout all of the essays, actually, mm. it was this element of women in whatever fight they were fighting, yeah. deciding to take ownership. And I think there's an element of relatability in it, but I, I'm not going to lie, like, as much as I would love for every white woman to read it, I wrote that book for myself, and I wrote it for every Muslim woman, and I wrote it for every person of colour, and all the stories that we told in there about sex and relationships and about being a queer Muslim and, like, your religiosity and, like, white feminism sucking, or toxic white feminism anyway, and all of those things, I really wished somebody had let me have the space to have those conversations, mm -hmm. and they didn't, and that's what I wanted, and that's what we created. We created something like a sisterhood, because the first time we all met was at the launch, and we were psychotic, really. <laughs> It was wild. Like, we'd sort of... We'd heard about each other vaguely, but then we all got to... And I think the other thing to realise is that so often, you know, as a Muslim woman who has any sort of a voice you're asked to speak on behalf of, mm. you don't get the chance. They're usually like, all right, we've got one Muslim woman, that's enough. They don't think, maybe they all have various different ideas. We should get two or three. Mm. And then we might get... Uh, the best Muslim woman panel I've ever been on was in Dorky, Ireland, which is not what I expected. But they had four Muslim women on a panel and they asked us to speak about feminism. None of us agreed with each other, but it was the most interesting discussion because of that. Yeah. And we didn't have to start from a basis of should we even be allowed to exist, which mm. is the basis so many times we have these conversations Or like from. proving that you're human because a lot of the events that I've been doing and sort of I'm more recently frustratedly sort of put on social media. I don't use Twitter because like you said, it's really toxic and really shit. But like... Unless I, somebody says you're hot. Wow. <laughs> It's fine. They're usually I saw that bots. Yeah. One that turns uh, off the crazies. So. Yeah. Well, mostly. Anyway, on Instagram, and I was sort of saying how taxing it is to, even at events, have to sort of start from the point of I am human. You should empathise with me. Not even be able to go into okay. So white feminism institutionally empowers certain groups of women and yes I want to be a feminist but sometimes it doesn't work for me and you need to recognize that so we can move forward and I'm tired of this idea that if it happens for you then we can all be carried forward because if that was actually the reality of it we would be much fucking further along right now. So tease that out right because your essay was about white feminism mm. but I remember we talked recently and you were like nobody wants to talk about it with me. Yeah I've thought about this so much now I think I just have conversations constantly about it with myself. Anyway, um, so <laughs> I've thought about this and I think that part of the reason on the side of sort of like the Muslim sisterhood is because we're so, so overwhelmed with having to deal with the racism and the Islamophobia and the like the body politics and our bodies, you know, being used as political grounds. We're like, oh yeah, the white women, who cares about them? But like, there is a huge issue. And the issue is that the thing that a lot of Muslim women align themselves with is feminism and it doesn't work for us so my essay is called feminism needs to die and a lot of people are shocked by my essay because in my essay I basically talk about how I came to feminism and I was like so freaking excited and then I remember because back then I used to like tweet so much and I remember I read a tweet by Caitlin Moran and somebody had asked her in an interview about her HBO Girls series and about why the cast wasn't diverse and honestly this tweet still exists uh, somewhere. Lena Dunham. They, they asked her about was she going to bring this yeah. up to Lena Dunham. Yeah and she was, she was basically I don't fucking care like I mean I don't think those were her exact words but like that that amount of like, it doesn't bother me, like it's got nothing to do with me, why should I even bother? And it's kind of like this feminist icon that all the feminists around me had been like, oh my God, Kate Moran, like she's, she's an amazing woman, she's an amazing feminist, she's fighting for all of us. And I'm like, she's not fighting for me. And I think through feminism, what I realized, instead of empowering me, 
which I thought it was initially going to do, it sort of made me feel dejected. It made me feel like I didn't belong in that movement. And it wasn't a lot of women that I met, white women, had an issue with me being a Muslim. And I had a space in my faith and my um, faith had a space for my feminism. But those women didn't want me in their like idea of what feminism was and they didn't want my faith in that. And for me, I couldn't, being a feminist is really taxing for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's what my essay talks about. I wonder if Catelyn would still say that now because I think that was previous to a lot of... I, I don't know, I genuinely mm-hmm. don't know, but I suspect she might have shifted that idea now because it was previous to a lot of the sort of intersectional feminism that's mm-hmm. out there. I think she felt like she was being asked to ask another woman about her mm. not, without justifying it which I am um, <laughs> I think I no I, I just think, wonder if she was felt she was being asked to ask another woman about her creation and, and I go, think this comes back. justify yourself and she was like it's not for me to yeah. do that yeah and I wonder if she would say something different now I don't know because the fact that that tweet still exists because from time to time I actually go and look at it um <laughs> because I'm that that I'm that much fun that's that's what's going on in my life guys um I think that the fact that it exists and it's not just her though like our society Mm -hmm. is built up in a way where it benefits men Mm -hmm. and then when it's not benefiting men it's benefiting white women it's Mm -hmm. institutionally set up to deliver to a certain group of women and I'm talking about like in my essay, I make this like long list disclaimer. So white, straight, middle class, I'm talking about those white women. And I'm talking about how they never know the struggle because they don't have to go through it. And so any time I'm in front of those people, I have to first prove I'm human enough for them to empathize. Second, try and get my point across. And third, without jeopardizing the audience, like try not to hurt their feelings in any way. And I really, really don't give a fuck about that. Like this weekend, I was at an event and I was talking about white women. And it was really interesting, actually. I was generalizing. Yes, I was. And this man decided to pipe up and he said... He did Did he not hashtag not all women you? Yeah, well, yeah. Hashtag not all white women. After, me and my friend decided he really wanted to get shagged, so that's why he did it. But basically, he was like, but you're talking about how you don't like Muslim women being generalised, but aren't you generalising all white women by saying this? So I read out the passage, basically, in my essay where it says, actually, I'm talking about white women as an institution, and, like, the fact that all you got from this hour-long talk was, but not all white women. It's the same as when we say men are shit and men are like, but not all white men. So, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, But, yeah, so having to deal with that. Yeah. I've learnt a lot in the last three and a half years about how much white women benefit from the system. I often think that I started this podcast to wallow in my own oppression and what I've learned about more than anything is my own privilege. And I'm increasingly aware of the truth of that, Mm. that the advantages that we have, and I'm increasingly understanding the advantages that I have over men of colour, like all the time. And I'm like, I'm so protected by this system. If I cry in public, people will run around me and go, oh. Yeah. If I run towards law enforcement in a panic, they're definitely not going to shoot me. Yeah, look, or anytime, even in America, anytime, even in America, they Deb, wouldn't. Anytime I run, people are like, if she's running, we definitely have to run. <laughs> they're like, whatever she's running away from, it is not good. Run with her. <laughs> like, nobody's like, oh, she might yeah. need help. No. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm aware of what you're saying is completely true. It's and the guilt thing that gets me. Like, I had a really um, 
really frustrating conversation with a friend afterwards because she thought that I'd come across quite strong and um and I thought and because and, and I'd been quite unforgiving because I remember at the end of me answering the guy's question I was like it's probably not the answer you're wanting but it's the one you're gonna get um tell him sis <laughs> tell him and I moved on and then she said you know but you should break it down and help them understand and I'm like no they understand Google exists like they're here they should try harder for me it's getting to the point where I'm thinking if the method of oh but we should break it down and be nice about it if that worked we wouldn't still be having these conversations how have things changed since the release of the book have you seen changes in your when you've been touring and so on Mm, I think that there are conversations that have happened potentially that this book is now triggering but potentially not in the same fashion I feel like when I approach things, I'm more unforgiving. So people feel not attacked, but they feel sort of... I remember saying at an event that I went to that if you don't feel really angry and frustrated when you're leaving, then you haven't attended an event that I've gone to. (laughs) Which is my aim, because I feel like not enough is changing fast enough for us to be able to make a difference. Well, I'm a pessimist, right? But I do think that it's a privileged illusion to think that one book can change something because for that one book to come into play, a lot of things had to happen and a lot of, like, Allah had to, like, bless things and, like, a lot of people had to come together and, like, really push it. And these opportunities don't come up enough to actually make measurable change. I think things... I think it would be a life I sat here and said things will change. But I think that we can all make more efforts to change things. But no, I mean, Boris Johnson's still talking shit about Muslim women, so... Yo, Boris, like, what is his deal? I mean... Nobody his... knows. I, I, <laughs> like, I just, I find it so... Literally nobody knows. Like, yeah, no, I find it I so fascinating, so fascinating how, like, how he can be taking over. from particular echelons in society fail upwards... Like, oh, I can't do anything upwards. upwards. I can't right. do anything upwards. Yeah. Literally, if I like, if I fall, I will my face on the ground. <laughs> mm. Right? There's there's no like version of like falling upwards for no. people who aren't. You like, will Boris. not fail into being prime minister. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you he imagine? Can you? Yeah, he's done that. He put like, three hundred and fifty million a week for the NHS on the side of a bus. The other day, Jeremy Hunt said, "I am prepared to Brexit without a deal." I'm warning you. It will be worse than the 2008 financial crash, but I'm willing to do it. How have we gone from 350 million more of the NHS a week on a bus to I'll do it, but it'll be worse than the worst financial disaster? That's not what we voted for. Not that I voted that way anyway, but not what anybody voted for. This is not what anybody voted for. Even if you voted leave. There was no deal on the table. They've got more votes than us. Anytime someone brings things up, I'm like, yo, the men are continuously going on about, you know, how it's not their time or, like, it's so hard to be a white man. Mm. <laughs> oh, because there's allowed to I be... I want that struggle. I mean, like, if, I'm, if I can pick a type of struggle, I want that kind of struggle. Yeah. And also, like, you know, white men <laughs> leading shit has gotten us oh where exactly? Like, I think it's time to let a dark-skinned Muslim woman run the show, yeah. right? I think at that I... point, you know... Maybe. I, I want to win. At least everyone would be fed, right? And they'd have somewhere to sleep because no, like, it would be a shame on her. She'd be like, yeah, but listen, just come to my house. like the next white people crisis. Like, but what is a white crash, people crisis? This would be the next thing. 
He'll no. have like a crisis of belonging. Aww. I wonder Which... what that feels like. <laughs> Which brings us beautifully to the end of the episode. Belonging. Thank you so, so much. We can all buy your book. Where should we get your book? Uh, any good bookstore. Any good bookstore? Any bo- not Amazon, but it's okay if you can't only buy from Amazon. Okay, it's okay if you go with Amazon, but don't. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen Jeff Bezos? I don't, like, no. I now just imagine somebody scurrying to get the book and they're on this sort of hourly rate. Yeah, it's I've, grim. They don't even get toilet yeah, breaks. Yeah. No, I, they, they're on some Avoid kind of... Avoid Amazon yeah, at all costs. The Amazon, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Very um, different experiences. <laughs> you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Yasmin Abdel-Majid, and our very special guest, Mariam Khan. The recording is Joe's Grundy Lizibra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. I mean, depends on what we're talking about. I belong to a large number of WhatsApp groups. Sure. Um, it depends, right? Like, sometimes we feel like we're really part of something. Sorry, it's probably not helping that I'm on my yeah. phone while I mean, you're, you're trying to thing, ask that question. Right? You're doing yeah. that thing. So do you feel like you belong? How's your day? Mm. Sorry, I'm on the Love care. Island WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah. I'm voting. Are you on I know phone? you don't like yeah. Michael, but I'm voting. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm really sorry. I was bringing my I'm a feminist butts up, mm. and then <laughs> I realised I hadn't put it on aeroplane. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge had texted me back because I congratulated her about her Emmys Ooh. nominations. See, ooh. Yeah. So I forgot you were talking. Uh, I mean, that happened. So in terms of the belonging situation, white I'm women, really right? not... Like, yeah. I know. I'm really sorry. I was congratulating another white woman on her Emmys. Indeed, yeah. I was talking about how I don't feel like I belong and she was I'm like, so oh, a white sorry. woman messaged me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I can only apologise. If there's... Is there anyone else I can offend in this audience or on this stage tonight? <laughs> Would anyone like me? Just put your hand up if you'd like me to. Um, Hello, Guilty Feminista. This is Sarah Barron, stand-up comic. If my name rings a bell, I have appeared on this wonderful podcast before. Namely, one time I told you about a friend of mine who had a weird older boyfriend who told me about the color of her vagina. It was crazy. Anyway, I'm here to tell you about the fact that I will be at London Soho Theater from the 9th to the 21st of March doing my Edinburgh 2019 show, Enemies Closer, every night at 9.30 p.m. I really hope that if you like this podcast, you might just like my show. So hope to see you there. Goodbye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.